Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, December the 13th, 2023. It is currently 5.46 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, it's the Wednesday of the second week of Advent, and we have been working on studying Advent because we've kind of started our journey through the liturgical calendar following the historical lectionary as we, I mean, because the first, the first Sunday of Advent really kicks off the new church year. So I know the calendar year says 2023, but as far as the church calendar is concerned, we've, we've started 2024. We have started and we have been following in a sense the church, the liturgical calendar and the lectionary. So we are in the second week of Advent. This is the Wednesday of the second week of Advent. So before we do anything else, I have a box of matches here. I have a box of matches here. So I'm going to take this, uh, can't, uh, this, I'm going to take this match. I'm going to strike it on the box and I'm going to light the Advent cal- the Advent wreath, I should say, candles for the Advent wreath. There we go. I have lit the Advent candles for the Advent wreath. I've lit two, the two purple ones, for the first and second week of Advent. And so what we're going to do this evening is we're going to have a devotional message on the reading from the lectionary for this second Wednesday of Advent. Yes, I, I, I can speak correctly, I promise you. So hopefully this will be beneficial. Hopefully this will be helpful. And hopefully this will continue to maybe prepare you and to get you to think about the first and second advent of Christ, his first coming, his second coming, and hopefully try to make this time of year. I know this time of year can be chaotic. It can be crazy. Get togethers, family, gifts, all the different things, whether you agree with certain things, disagree with certain things, all the arguments that can even happen within Christianity. I know it can be crazy and I know it's easy to get distracted, but if you think about it, that's kind of a, a mini picture of how life works uh, uh, the rest of the year, not just Advent. Advent, we have maybe because Advent's leading up to Christmas and then to New Year's, you have, you know, family get togethers, maybe some vacation time, maybe some days off. You've got gifts, you've got, and maybe you disagree with how some people celebrate Christmas and, and you find Christians arguing about it and you've got arguments, you've got debates, you've got family get together. You've got, you got so many and you can find yourself getting distracted. And by the time Christmas and New Year's is over, you're like, whoa. Okay, I, I don't know if I got anything spiritually out of any. I don't even know if I'm better off spiritually. I may be off. I may be worse off spiritually by the time it's over. But that's again, in a sense, it's a it's an example of how the entire year works because the entire year, our lives really are constantly experiencing different circumstances. Sometimes those circumstances are good. Sometimes those circumstances are very negative. Sometimes it's times of great joy. Sometimes it's uh, times of great tragedy. 
pain and suffering. Sometimes it's it's times of depression and discouragement and frustration. Sometimes you're just confused and you don't know what to do. Sometimes you're you're angry. Sometimes maybe it's just kind of the the day day in and day out mundane reality of life, you know, time to make the donuts, time to get up and it's just, you know, you do, you go through a routine and you're in that routine day in and day out. And it, and it can just, in a sense, take away any passion in your life. And, and somewhere in the midst of all of that, you're supposed to be focusing on the things of God, seeking first the kingdom of God, loving God, loving your neighbor, trying to grow spiritually. And it can, everything can just become confused. And even in your own life, you've got your own sin. You've got the sins of others. It can become a very distracting thing. And with that kind of as our foundation, as kind of our beginning point, I think that fits perfectly for what we're going to be looking at tonight. Because tonight we're going to be looking at the first reading in the lectionary, which is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to be looking at just a few verses in this section, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 to 31. So without without even considering or thinking about context or anything else right now, let's just read. from. This is the first reading from the lectionary, a reading from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Let's start in verse 25. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, behold, who hath created these things that bring out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, and not one felleth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. He he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fell, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 to 31. Now, I'm going to read it quickly in a different translation. I'm going to read this directly from the historical lectionary and their translation. To whom can you liken me as an equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He leads out their army and numbers them, calling them all by name. By his great might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why, O Jacob, do you say and declare, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is, and my right is disregarded by my God? 
Do you not know or have you not heard? The Lord is the eternal God, creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint nor grow weary, and his knowledge is beyond scrutiny. He gives strength to the fainting, and for the weak he makes vigor abound. Though young men faint and grow weary, and youth stagger and fall, they that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar as with eagles' wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. This is the word of the Lord, as the uh, lectionary would say. Two different translations, very, very, very similar, really stressing some very important things. And I think the context here very much fits kind of my opening illustration about life and about even the time of Advent where we can become so distracted and confounded and conflicted with all the things going on in our life. And our life is constantly, we are experiencing circumstances upon our life and that has profound impact on us. Just consider with me the context of Isaiah 40, 25 through 31. Isaiah 40, 25 through 31 is part of the book of Isaiah, obviously, and which is a, and it's part of that book, which is a collection of prophecies attributed to the prophet Isaiah during the time of the Babylonian exile. Now stop right there. You have the prophecies, but they're happening during the time of the Babylonian exile. Those are circumstances that these people are experiencing. And those are extreme circumstances, Babylonian exile. That's not a positive one. It's not a good one. And when you're experiencing very negative and very difficult circumstances, it's very hard sometimes to maintain focus on anything spiritual. This particular passage falls within the section of the book, sometimes known as Second Isaiah, which focuses on themes of comfort and restoration. So this is a section that very much acknowledges the circumstances, Babylonian exile, but in the midst of this exile, there's this, there's words of comfort. In fact, look at how chapter 40 begins. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. In the midst of these circumstances, there's comfort. In the midst of these circumstances, there's something spiritual here that we can grab onto. And I think there's lessons here. Because in your life and my life, we may not find ourselves in a literal Babylonian exile, but we find ourselves in life in times of very confusing circumstances, difficult, struggle, failure, sin, pain, discouragement. And I think what we have a tendency to do is we, what we look for is we look to God to fix our circumstance. We look to God to end our circumstance. But I will say, and I'm going to say this right now before we even start taking this apart to any degree. I think this is very important to realize. If you, as a Christian, when you're facing negative circumstances, if you look to God only and only in regards to him resolving the problem, fixing the problem, ending the problem, making the problem better, I think spiritually you're setting yourself up for very, I think, I think you're setting yourself up for an absolute spiritual fall because you can look to God to fix your circumstances, but let me make it very clear. There is no guarantee he's going to fix your circumstance on this side of eternity. You may get a horrible disease, a diagnosis of a horrible disease. It doesn't mean he's going to resolve, fix, heal, or eliminate that problem on this side of eternity. On that side of eternity, a new body, no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. 
You may find yourself in a horrible family situation, economic situation. You may find yourself in emotional situations and you may look to God to resolve the problem. But the problem is so many times people look to that and then when the problem isn't resolved, their faith is shattered, their faith falls apart. They don't know what to do. They become bitter, discouraged, deconstruct, whatever, defect, whatever the case may be. I think there's something different we have to do. If you are in a difficult circumstance or whatever the circumstance is, if you simply look to God as the one who's going to reshape and remake your circumstance that is pleasing to you, advantageous to you, make your life better, wonderful, you're going to find, look, that will last for a while. It may give you a boost of hope. It may give you a sense of, of, of oh, it's all going to work out, of optimism. But sooner or later, when you realize it doesn't, it, I'm sorry, your optimism will will blow up and, 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 and you're going to be worse off spiritually. And I think so many times that's how, Hey, you're, you're going through this difficult circumstance. Look to God, pray to God. And as if he's going to make it all better, but there's no promise of that in any way, shape or form. There's a promise of overcoming and changing those circumstances in eternity, but not on this side of eternity. So what do we do when in, in the midst of circumstances? What can we do in order to maintain the right focus so that we can therefore grow spiritually, maintain some spiritual stability and actually advance in our spiritual life and it be better for us? I don't know if I have an, an easy answer, but I'm going to try to use this little section to try to present one. All right. And, and so... So there's, there's a little bit of kind of where this falls in. Isaiah 40, 25 through 31 is a part of the book of Isaiah, which is a collection of prophecies attributed to the prophet Isaiah during the time of the Babylonian exile. And it focuses on themes of comfort, restoration in Israel and uh, for the Israelites. How do we then take, what do we learn from these times of, of this discussion of comfort and restoration? We will, we will try to break that down a little bit more as we move forward. Now, in terms of the historical context, the exile referred to in this section of Isaiah took place in the 6th century BC when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and forced many Israelites into captivity in Babylon. The Israelites were living in a state of despair and longing for liberation and restoration. Please note they were living in a state of despair. They were living under their circumstances. They felt the reality of their circumstances, and they may have been looking to God to fix the problem instantaneously, immediately. Do something now. And so many times when you look that way, I'm telling you, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get depressed. And I think it's, I think it's a, a, a horrible thing that in many cases, Christianity almost points people in that direction. When, under your circumstances, look to God to fix it. I mean, I don't think that's the right spiritual approach. I think you can see this in the Gospels where many people who were following Jesus, why were they following Jesus? They were following Jesus for food. They were following Jesus maybe for healing. And when they kind of realized he wasn't going to do exactly what they would, they may have been looking for him to set up a kingdom right then and there. And at some point they become disillusioned. They become frustrated. They become upset. They don't like his message and they walk away. Now, the purpose of this section of Isaiah is to bring hope and encouragement to the Israelites during their time of hardship. Now, that, that's what got my attention. Okay, if this section is to bring hope and encouragement, 
Well, then I want to know what the hope and encouragement is. Is the hope and encouragement of God fixing the situation for them right then, right there? Or what, what, what can I learn from it? It reassures them of God's power, love, and faithfulness while also emphasizing their need for trust and patience. Now, the specific verses, Isaiah 40, 25 through 31, let's now read them again carefully and just make some general comments and then see if we can, I, there's, I want to try to kind of, there's a part of me that wants to maybe lay out a number of principles here, but I don't think I'm going to do that this evening. I think I'm going to try to focus on one primary primary principle, and you can then try to uh, you can maybe try to come up with four or five principles or lessons you learn from this. But let's let's just take it apart little by little. All right. So let's go to forty verse twenty five. Now immediately, to whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Lord? In other words, what are you going to compare me to? And who am I equal to? Remember how the the uh, the lectionary translated it? To whom can you liken me as an equal? Who can you compare me to? Well, what is equal to me? God is almost asking them, what can you compare me to? What am I equal to? And the obvious, it's, it's almost a rhetorical question. You can't compare God to anything. He's not equal to anything. So this is not looking to what God does so much as who he is. I think that's where we begin to get kind of a a clue here. This is very important. You can either look at your circumstances and compare your circumstances to God or liken your circumstances to God. And I know we would never do that verbally. We would never do that. But so many times we so are, we are so consumed and focused and preoccupied with our circumstance that we almost forget God. So in a roundabout way, we elevate circumstance over God. I'm going to go to a number of different translations really quick on this verse, because I think it may be somewhat beneficial and somewhat helpful to do so. All right. So I'm going to go to... Google, I'm going to type in Isaiah 40, verse 25. I'm going to go to Bible Hub, and I'm going to read this to a number and a number of translations. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Who are you going to compare me to? What are you going to compare me to? Are you going to compare me to your circumstances? Are you going to compare me to an idol? Are you going to compare me to a false god? What God is saying is there's no comparison. And I know it is very difficult for us when we are in the midst of circumstances to see God greater than I know theoretically. I know theologically we'll say God is all-powerful and all-knowing. We'll even use theological terms. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. We know the theological terms. We can win the Awana Award. We can win the Gold Star. I know all of that. But all of that is theoretical. It's very different to, to get it out of the theoretical and to the reality. And the reality in your life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we have a tendency to see circumstance, elevate circumstance over God. And when we do look to God, we only look to God in relation to the circumstance so that he will fix it and change it. 
And I think that that's a spiritual problem and a, and a, and a wrong approach. Let's go to verse 26. I'm going to read it from a number of translations. Here we go. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls for earth, uh, calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Another translation, look up, in, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. ESV, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Now, a lot of them say, look up your, lift up your eyes on high. Who created these? The King James does the same thing. Most of the other translations say, look, look up your eyes and look to the heavens. And it's referring to the stars. Almost all the Amplified Bible, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these heavenly bodies. All right. So it seems that this is all right. Look, what can you compare me to? What can you compare me to? It's almost a rhetorical question where you should say nothing. But to help them answer that question, he's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Before you answer, here's what I want you to do. Lift up your eyes. See all the stars. See all the stars. I don't know where you uh, live tonight. Uh, I don't know where you live. Uh, but tonight, if you can, right here in West Texas, it's cloudy and rainy. So this won't work so well tonight. But wherever you are, if it's a clear night tonight, go outside, look up to the heavens, especially if you're somewhere where you can see the stars. If you're in a large city, you probably won't be able to. If you can, drive out out of the city. Just find out a place somewhere where you can look up to the sky and see all the stars. And when you see all of those stars, who created all of them? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength? Not one of them is missing. He put them all there. He created all of them. And when you see that he created all of that, then what is your circumstance? Take your circumstance, take your frustration, take your, your, your difficulty and your pain and compare it to that. And obviously he is greater than that. Now, now I know, no, no, I know what you'll do. See, here's, here's, here's what preaching will tell you. This is what preachers always do. They will tell you to go out, look at the stars. And say, look, the one who created all of that, his power and his strength, and you are worried and fretting over your circumstance, clearly he can fix your circumstance. Clearly he can change your circumstance. Clearly he can make your circumstance better. And then you'll leave church going, amen. But I'm telling you, that is a path to depression, discouragement, and despair because he may not use that power to fix your circumstance. I don't think this is to look to the skies to see his power so that you'll immediately assume your circumstance will get better. I think this is to to, to look to his power so that you see his power, his greatness, and you are more, you are consumed with who he is than what this circumstance is. Now, on one hand, it does show you if he has that power, then obviously, ultimately, eternally, He will make all things good. But you can't assume that that power is going to be used to fix your current situation because he may not fix it. The next verse. Why do you complain, Jacob? 
Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Now, this is almost a rebuke. Now, in the historical setting, once again, to those in Babylonian captivity, they may be walking around going, obviously, God has forgotten about us. Obviously, God has disregarded us. Obviously, God has forgotten us. He, he, he doesn't even know we're here. He doesn't even remember us. And it's almost a rebuke. Like, why do you complain? Why? Why are you doing this? They, they should remember what? The covenant, the promises that he made to them. And they should know that God obviously is very aware. He's, he's greater than their exile. He's greater than their circumstance. He created all the stars. They should look up and see the stars and go, that God who created all of that, clearly he knows where we are and he knows what we're going through. A number of couple of uh, other translations, uh, New Living. Oh, J oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? ESV, why do you say, oh, Jacob, and speak, oh, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Berean Standard, why do you say, oh, Jacob, uh, why do you say, oh, Jacob, and why do you assert, oh, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? It, it's a rebuke. Why are you, look, they, they are in a difficult situation, but it's almost a subtle rebuke. Why are are you saying this? Are you comparing your exile to the greatness of God? Are you not realizing and looking to the stars and saying he created all of that? Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Now we're getting somewhere. Stop looking at your circumstance. Stop being overwhelmed by your circumstance. Stop, stop looking at that. Stop focusing on it. Stop talking about it. Stop complaining about it. Look to God and remember who God is. God is greater than the circumstance. It doesn't mean he's going to fix your circumstance. But what you need to do is you need to focus on God. Look, you will either focus, be overwhelmed by, preoccupied by, possessed by, your circumstances, or you will be focused, preoccupied, in a sense, possessed by your love and pursuit of God. We've got to get our eyes off our circumstances and get them onto God. Now, again, I'm trying to make sure I drive this point home. You are to get your eyes off your circumstance and on God, but not to get them on God simply because you think he's going to fix your circumstance. You get them on God and because of who he is, you remember and recall his attributes. And this section is giving us a number of his attributes. In fact, what you should do is go through Isaiah 40, 25 through 31 and write down every one of his attributes that are given in Isaiah 40, 25 to 31 and find cross-references for them if you really want to get something from this. And then you need to post somewhere, place somewhere, remember, review daily. Here is the truth about God. And the truth about God is not minimized or changed or lessened because of your circumstance. Because how can you compare your circumstance to such a great God? You should see your circumstance in light of God, not see God in light of your circumstance. But again, don't look to God to immediately fix your circumstance or even to improve it or change it. It may actually get worse until eternity. 
Isaiah 40, 28. Let me read it again from a number of translations. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. There's his eternality, the creator of the ends of the earth. There's his omnipotence, his power. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. There's his wisdom. There's his understanding. He's omniscient. Have you, I read from another translation. Have you not heard? Have you, have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. His, he, he knows more than us. Now, in my mind, why are we even in? Like sometimes you can say, why am I even experiencing this circumstance? I don't know. Why won't you fix it? I don't know. There's one thing. I will never understand God's understanding. I will never know what God knows. I will never comprehend what God knows. Even if I was to know it, I wouldn't really be able to comprehend it. Verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increased the power of the weak. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. All right. So this is a hope of God providing strength to those who are weak. Now, exactly what kind of strength? How does he provide that? Well, I don't know. Verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Okay. Hey, in life, even the strongest, even the youngest are going to grow weary and tired. So in life, we can expect weariness and fatigue and tiredness emotionally, physically, mentally, because life will wear you down. It's just the way life works. We are, we are, we are, we are weak in so many ways. But then here's the promise. Verse 31. Now, the new international places it this way, but those who hope in the Lord, new living, but those who trust in the Lord, ESV, but those who wait. So we have three different translations, but those who hope, those who trust, and those who wait. Now, is that three different ways of saying the same thing? Now, if we look at Isaiah 40, 31, if we look up the interlinear, we go to Isaiah 40, verse 31. If we look at the interlinear, which we will do here as soon as I can find it. Here it is. I'm going to go to the Blue Letter Bible app. I'm going to go to Old Testament. I'm going to go to Isaiah. I'm going to hit chapter 40. I'm going to go down to verse 31. I'm going to click the verse, tap the verse. I'm going to go to interlinear. But they that wait... All right, from the King James, it is this Hebrew word, it is this Hebrew word. Strong's H, 6960. Kava. 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 It means to bind together, twisting, collect, to expect, together, look, patiently, tarry, wait. The outline of biblical usage, to wait, to look for, to hope, to wait for... Eagerly to lie in wait, to wait for, linger, to collect, bind together. So it seems to be the idea that it's a, it's a waiting, but it's a, it's an expecting, it's a hoping and it's, and you're waiting and hoping because there's a trust. So I think in some ways, all three words really kind of fit. I think, and I think it's fair that in the same way, but hey, people are going to get weak. People are going to get weary. But for those of us who hope, 
who trust and who wait, or who those who wait in hopeful expectation because of our trust, those who are waiting and trusting in God, we will renew our strength. We will soar on the wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary and we will not faint. Now, I don't think this is referencing a physical strength. I don't think this is referencing a physical strength that, hey, if I trust and wait in God, I'm going to grow. I'm going to have a, 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 a greater physical strength. I think this is a spiritual strength. I think that this is maybe a mental strength that we can obtain. And here's the thing. Now, you got to listen to me carefully, though. I don't think we obtain this strength so that we can run and not grow weary and we can walk and not faint. Because we look to God to fix our circumstances. No, no, no. I think we grow in this. I think we obtain this strength by looking to God and focusing on God over our circumstances or instead of our circumstances. In other words, instead of our circumstances becoming our, look, if you just focus on your circumstances, if you focus on your situation, if you focus on the negative things that this or that, you don't have this and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong, you will grow weary. You will faint. You will be crushed under those circumstances. You will find yourself becoming bitter, grumbling, complaining, depressed, discouraged because all you want is a way to see through the circumstance so things can get better. You will be crushed by it. But if by faith you look to who God is and you see those attributes that are laid out in Isaiah 40, 25 to 31, if you look at them, he is eternal. He is all powerful. He is creator. And you look to him and your focus is on him, not on what he will do for you. Your focus is on him because he is creator. He is God. And your focus is on that. Then you, in a sense, will grow spiritual strength because you're not, you're no longer preoccupied with your circumstance. You're preoccupied with something above your circumstance. You're not preoccupied with, you're not looking internally to your emotions and to your feelings and to your wants and your desires and your, and your disappointments. You're looking to something outside of yourself. And when you finally get your mind off the, you're in uh, getting your mind off yourself and your mind off your circumstances, then you grow in a little bit of strength and you can persevere because you're looking to the creator of all things. I think the message here is simple. You will either look to your circumstances and how they make you feel, or you will look to God and his attributes. You will either look to your circumstances and how they make you feel becoming, that's a deadly cycle. That's a circle. You're just going to run in a circle. Circumstance and self. Circumstances, how I feel. And you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get depressed. You're going to get angry. You're going to get bitter. You're going to get mad. You may start trying to figure out how to fix that problem, making foolish decisions, and you're just going to unravel and it all falls apart. Or you can look to God and his attributes, not for what he will do for you, you just look and sit amazed that he is God, he is eternal, he is creator, His he is all-knowing, and he is the one in charge of all things. And I'm just going to put my trust in him. Now, there is an expectation, there is a hope, but you have to place your hope and expectation in eternity. Look, some of... And I, I believe this is a very key point in eschatology. You look to some of the promises given to Israel and Isaiah. I'm sorry, 
They never received those promises in the lifetime of the nation at that time. They did not even receive many of those promises when they came out of Babylonian captivity. In fact, they were still looking for many of those promises when Jesus showed up. In fact, even after Jesus' ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and right before his ascension, his disciples were still looking for many of those fulfillments. Is it now? Are you going to do it now? When is it going to be? We are, are waiting and our expectation and our hope and our trusting is that God, it will fix and make all things right in eternity. Well, there will be no more pain, no more suffering and no more death. But in the here and now, we have to acknowledge it. We have to accept it that our circumstances may not only get better, they may not get better. They may actually get worse. You may die of the disease. Your child may not get out of the hospital. Your job, you may lose your job. You may lose your pay. You may lose your home. You just name it. Your, Your relationship may get worse. Your marriage may fall apart. You may become estranged with your kids. Who knows how it's all going to go down? But you will either look to your circumstances and how they make you feel. You can be preoccupied with that, consume with that, talk about it, think about it. Just, you know, circumstance me, circumstance me. You may try to come up with solutions that will be detrimental to everything in your life. Or you'll be like, you know what? Here's what I know is certain. There is a God. And here is his, I'm going to put my focus on God and here are his attributes. And just to name some of the attributes, you need to go through Isaiah 40, 25 through 31, find every attribute that's listed there and find cross references to other scriptures that support those attributes. He is creator, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Right. There you go. He is creator of all things, right? We, we, uh, we, uh, there, it, it expounds on that in, in Isaiah. I mean, he created the stars. You can you can do a cross-reference in Genesis. I think the Psalms mention it as well. He created the stars. We see his strength. We see, so he's creator. We see his wisdom. We see his strength. The, the passage in Isaiah 40, let me, let's go back through them. Go back to Isaiah 40. I'm going to go back to verse 26. Who created these? He brings out the starry hosts, right? Because of his power and mighty strength. Find scriptures to speak of his omnipotence, his strength and his power. Oh, and then well, verse 27 says, why do you complain? Um, uh, verse 28 the Lord is the everlasting God. Look at look at scriptures and cross references to speak of His eternality. Right, he, He's the Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Talk about find scriptures that refer to Him. He He never grows tired. He never grows weary. That deals with His eternality. You could talk about He's immutable. He doesn't change because if He grew tired or weary, He would be changing. Right, and you could look at scriptures that His understanding no one can fathom. Look at those scriptures that speak of His omniscience, His knowledge. Look at all of those scriptures and what you can do. Look, I'm saying it again. You can focus on your circumstances and how it makes you feel. You will grow weary. You will faint. You will fall. Or you look to God and who he is. You look to God and his attributes. Not how those attributes may make your circumstances better, but how those those God and those attributes are certain. They're, they're, they do not change. They're, 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 they're the rock you can grab onto. And you know that ultimately... Those attributes will work for an eternity where there are promises 
that you may not experience in this life, but we will. Glory, forgiveness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Now, in my life, and in your life, we face circumstances. And I cannot speak for you, but for me, sometimes the circumstance and how I feel about that circumstance becomes my obsession, my my focus, preoccupied with it, struggle with it, what to do. And I spend time trying to figure out what to do, how to make it better. What does the future look like? What can I do? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? And typically it's just, you just basically spin in a circle until you just fly off who knows to where. It's detrimental. You grow weary, you grow faint. Or, that's what I typically do. Or if I could, I could push that aside and say, nope, I'm going to focus on God and his attributes, because those are certain and those are not impacted at all by my circumstance. They're not in any way, they're not touched by my circumstance. And, I, and I'm not going to compare my circumstance to God. I'm going to look to God and his attributes. And I'm not going to look to those for what he may or may not do for me. I'm going to look to them because those give me a certainty. Therefore, I will not grow weary or faint. The certainty is I can wait, hope, and trust that there will come a day There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, and no more death. And that is Isaiah 40, 25 through 31. Your lectionary reading on this Wednesday of the second week of Advent as we follow the liturgical calendar. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna lean over. I'm going to blow out the candles there on the Advent wreath, which I just did. And that ends this devotional time for this Wednesday of the second week of Advent. Your assignment, go through Isaiah 40, 25 through 31, write down all the attributes of God, look up cross-references, post those attributes with their scriptural references somewhere, look at them daily. And focus on God and his attributes, not on your circumstances and how they make you feel. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a wonderful, wonderful Wednesday evening. And may God bless you.